Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good to see you. If you're joining with us online, we're glad that you're here as well. Can we welcome everyone who's joined online? Those of you who are in here, let's let's like a little like. Are we happy that we can join each other, even though we may not be in the same proximity? I, I think so. I think so. That's pretty cool. And uh, are you happy to be here? I hope so. I hope so. On this dreary day, now first service was a little bit down in the energy level so i need y'all to help me okay bring it otherwise i might try harder and the sermon will last longer and none of us want that right (laughs) so be engaged let's dial in so uh back in the day they uh built a ship that they said was unsinkable anybody know what the ship i'm talking about just yell it out titanic titanic if you were on it, just type it in the comments if you had it right. But Titanic, yeah, they built it, and somebody had the audacity to say, in the movie, <clears throat> it was the guy who, like, was financing the whole thing, but in, in real life, allegedly, it was one of the uh, workers on the, the top part of the, the ship. I don't know what that's called. But they said uh, these words, uh, it's so unsinkable that not even God himself could sink this ship. Well, we all know how that went, Right? Uh, many people lost their lives and, and you know, for a, a whole assortment of reasons, but we're not going to do a documentary on the Titanic. You can watch that on your own time. But uh, the, the idea was that they built it in a way that was supposed to be built to last. It was supposed to be able to withstand whatever the ocean threw at it. Um, it was supposed to be able to deal with, and they touted it as unsinkable. Now, let me ask the question. If our households... Whatever that looks like for you, whether you're married with kids, married without kids, empty nesters, blended family, whether you're single, whatever, single parent, whatever it is, whatever your household context is, if your household was a ship, would it be unsinkable? Would it be built to last? Like, think about it. We In 2020, we've dealt with some storms, right? Uh, in life, we've all got stories of dealing with storms. But just let me give you some ideas of what this uh, year has done to a lot of homes, a lot of households. Uh, just for an example, uh, thir- there's been a 34% increase uh, compared to last year in divorce rates this year. 34% increase. More people getting a divorce this year than last year. There's been a 300% increase in the rate of depression this year. 300%. Uh, Over the last decade, the amount of people who would self-identify as Protestant Christians has gone from 51% of Americans to 43% of Americans. And then you combine that with the 70% or so of kids who grow up in church, get to high school, and leave the church. We've got kind of a bleak picture of the recent past and our current present. 
So what would it look like then for us as uh, followers of Jesus to have households that are built to last, that can go through the storms, that would still be anchored to Jesus when all said and done, that when the storms come and the waves crash in, uh, and when the big bad wolf comes and tries to blow your house down, will you be the house that was on the rock, that was had some bricks going, or will you be the ones that kind of just went all the way down? Right? Because the big bad wolf will show up, and he has shown up, and he will keep coming again. And so the question is, will we be built to last? I believe so. Many of us in this uh, church, um, and those of us believing online, we have households that have gone through some storms. We've, we've gone through that, and we've been faithful to Jesus through it. Uh, and that's what our hope is for all of us. Because when the church is built to last, the households within the church will be built to last. And when the households in the church are built to last, the church will be built to last. See, we are built to last. We want to be built to last. And so what I want to do today is just kind of go over some, uh, like three different household contexts and give us an overview of what Jesus says about it because we want to be built to last. Amen? Anyone want to not be built to last? You can put your hand up. That's not going to be me. Uh, I want to be built to last, okay? So this is what Jesus said about this. And just think about this. He's saying this about life in general, but think about it in your household specifically. Luke chapter 6, verse 47 to 49 says this. I will show you what someone is like who com- comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. So James, his half-brother, the half-brother of Jesus, said it this way, uh, don't be hearers, don't be merely hearers of the word, but be doers of the word also, right? We don't want to just be like, oh, you know, like kids, right? Like when mom and dad tell you to go do some chores, and be like, hey, uh, thanks mom for that uh, encouragement. Uh, 20 minutes later, you go back to them and you say, hey, did you clean your room? It's like, no, but I remember what you said. I memorized what you said. You said to clean your room. And in the Greek, it's that, that's what this means. This is how to say it in the Greek, right? That's what we do with the Bible. We're like, oh, Jesus, this is a good idea. I should go and clean my room, whatever that clean my room is, right? I should go love people. But we're like, yo, I, I memorized that. I know I'm supposed to do it. Uh, thanks, Jesus. I can say it in three different languages. Here's what it says in the Latin. You know, here's how I can say it in Spanish. Uh, but then when it comes down to doing it, some of us, we struggle, all of us probably at some level, we struggle with being doers of the word, right? But this is what Jesus is saying. I'll show you what someone is like when, who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the destruction of that house was great. So again, we want to be built to last in in every uh, context of our households that we have. So whatever your household looks like, uh, we're going to look at different ways that we can be built to last. So first off, let's uh, jump to Ephesians 5. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there, Ephesians chapter 5. And what we're going to look at first is uh, what it looks like to have a marriage that is built to last from what Scripture says. So if you are married, you want to be married someday, this is for you. So Ephesians chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 22. This is what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Ephesus, and is what he says to us as well. Wives, ladies first, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. 
Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Verse 33, just jumping around a little bit, get the idea of what this is saying. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself and the wife is the respect her husband. So we get a picture of what a godly, built-to-last marriage is like. And the, the picture is this, that... Uh, the husband is one who would love his wife in a way that resembles what Jesus did for the church. See, this passage, while it's oftentimes quoted in marriage sermons, and I'm doing it right now, the primary point in this passage is not about marriage, but it's about Jesus and his bride. And that is the bride of Christ, the church. And so he uses marriage in, in our you know, relational level as an illustration for what Jesus has done for the church. So he says that Jesus gave himself for the church. He loved her sacrificially. And we as husbands have an opportunity to follow Jesus in that, that where we love our wives as Christ loved the church. What does that look like? It's a beautiful thing and it's hard. It's a hard thing to do. Why? Because Jesus gave his whole life for his bride. And that is the bride of Christ, you and me, the church. And so it looks like setting aside our, our preferences, setting aside our ambitions, and simply doing what God has called us to do, and that is to sacrificially love. What did Jesus do, right? What did Jesus do? He, because of the amount of love he has for us, he decided to give his life for us, right? He was willing to give everything for his bride. And we as husbands have an amazing uh, privilege and opportunity and responsibility to love our wives as Christ loved the church. To be able to say, honey, I love you with everything I have. My whole life, I'm choosing you above my own uh, perceptions, above my own priorities. You are my priority after God. God is number one, honey, you are number two. And so what does that look like for the wife then? It looks like to submit to your husband who is the head, just like Christ is the head of the church. Now, this is something that can get uh, really uh, un uncomfortable, especially if someone is hearing me and what they're hearing me is submitting to a man who's not submitted to Christ first. And so we as husbands, we need to be the men who are respectful enough and honorable enough to where we... We serve Christ with our whole lives, and we are someone who, when our wife looks at us, we say, I willingly and gladly submit to you because that's what God has set up. Right? It says, I, I am worthy to be submitted to because of what Christ has done in my life and because of my willingness to love you with everything I have. And so there's this beautiful picture of, and, and right before what we just read, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there's this mutual submission. It's this beautiful picture and what it should remind us of. When, like imagine this, married people. When people looked at your marriage, what if they were reminded of Jesus's love for the church and the church's love for Jesus? Wouldn't that be a beautiful, amazing thing? It'd be so good. And so beautiful. And, and if we step into that, then we will have a marriage that is built to last. They can go through whatever. Why? Because we will love as Jesus has loved us. You know, for me, um, Sarah and I were uh, high school sweethearts. And she knows the before Jesus Brandon, okay? And it was not pretty. I was a punk, okay? Straight up punk. Like, 
Just a mat, like it's just bad, okay? And she loved me through that, and I'm so grateful for that. But it wasn't until I saw what Jesus did for me that I had any kind of realm of reference to know what it looks like to love her. It wasn't until I knew what Jesus was willing to sacrifice for me that I started to understand what it looked like to be a husband. And so if we, if like, you know, for, for some of us, we've been at this, you know, Sarah and I are about to um, celebrate our 10th year of marriage in, in a, a little, like a week and a half or something like that, which is a big deal for us. And some of you are like, man, I've been, we've been married longer than you've been alive, Brandon. That's fine. You know, that's fine. That's cool. And I would love to learn from you. Okay. But uh, in our experience, what I've noticed is that the more I look to Jesus, the better I love Sarah. And the same is true for all of us. Like, right, when we got married, we didn't, it didn't really come with a, an instruction booklet, right? Guys, your wife did not give you all the rules, right, in her book, because she's got a book, right? <laughs> Fellas, you know, she said it in my book, it would be this way. I had this conversation with Sarah this week. I was like, honey, if you would have just told me, like, if you, if you say in my book, well, tell me, give me the book. I can read it. Right? I can at least read it and have any kind of chance of following what I'm supposed to do. Right? Uh, we didn't get this instruction booklet. That's what, like, this is why I'm such a big fan of premarital counseling, like getting into the nitty gritty details of your life. So, uh, if you know someone who wants to get married and they do premarital counseling with Sarah and me, just know they should be warned that they're, we're gonna get into all the nitty gritty details of life. All the stuff. All up in their business. Right? Why? Because marriage is hard. It's hard. It's hard work. And, but it's good. It's worth it. Right? But it takes intentionality. So, a couple of uh, keys to a a Christ-centered marriage. A couple of keys to a Christ-centered marriage. Because here's what I want. For all of us, every married couple, we have a norm. We have what's normal to us. What's normal to us may not be normal for other people, right? Because we have two unique personalities coming together to make a, a unique marriage. And, you know, like our norm may be odd to others and normal to us. And some of, sometimes our norm can be something that shouldn't be normal, right? It's something that shouldn't be that way. It ought not be that way. And we need to be recognizing that our norm, for all of us who are married, who follow Jesus, our norm should be the husband loving the, the wife as Christ loved the church, with sacrificial love, and the wife respected her husband. And that plays into all kinds of different things. Uh, but the, the main thing is that our norms should be uh, kind of, after, modeled after what Jesus and the church are. So, so here's what I think God would want us to have if you're married, your marriage to kind of have some, uh, some attributes of. So the first one, the first key uh, to what scripture says as far as a Christ-centered, built-to-last marriage is connection. Number one is connection. Jesus is connected to the church. He, what scripture says is that the church, a lot of different illustrations, one of them is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ, and Christ is the head. Um, if it's alive, your head is attached to your body, right? This is, this is formative stuff, right? <laughs> wow. But that means that we, as a married couple, should be connected as well. We should be first off connected to Jesus. We should have him as a priority. Uh, married people... Number one should never be, in your life, number one should never be your spouse. 
I've said this before. I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. Number one should not be your spouse. Why? Because they're not a good God. They're not a good God. Number one in your life should be Jesus Christ. Him and Him alone. That's number one. And then when you are submitted to Him first and foremost and love Him first, then you'll know what it looks like to love them. So connected to God and connected to each other. And what does that look like? Here's just some ideas of what connection looks like or could look like in your marriage. Open communication. Open communication. Like, it's, it can be somewhat surprising to me to hear about how many couples, uh, whether they be in the church or outside of the church, but any, you know, couples who are married, who've been together for a long time or a short time, but live together and they're married and they say, I'm, I'm devoted to you, but they never talk. We need to have open communication. We need to be able to talk about the difficult things, the exciting things, the hard things in our lives. We need to have open communication to where when, when I'm going down the wrong path and that happens and Sarah is willing to call me out on it, I need to be open to receive that. I never have to call her out. She's perfect. Right? But, but <laughs> we're open to each other's rebukes. Why? Because we want the best for each other. We want each other to follow Jesus and to love each other well. Vulnerability. Vulnerability is a huge thing in terms of connection. Uh, fellas, if you want to have a good week, if you want to have a good week today, share something vulnerable with your wife. I'm telling you, it's going to lead to a good week. Vulnerability leads to intimacy. Did y'all catch that? Fellas, vulnerability leads to Intimacy. Be willing to share the difficult things that you're going through. She wants to know how you're feeling. And I know you don't know how you're feeling. I get it. You're like, I don't know. This stuff happened and I'm just like, I'm along for the ride during the day. Like, I don't know. But give it a shot. Just try. And you will see that she is dialed into that. Right? Ladies, be willing to share with your husband something that you may be uncomfortable sharing with him. We are called as married people to be all in with each other. All in. Everything. 100%. Nothing held back. So the thing that's coming up in your mind that you're like, I don't know if I should share that. Share it. Share it. And if you have open communication, it'll be received well and you'll be able to have a good week, among other things. Uh, some, some more things for connection. Shared goals. I, I can't tell you how much like having shared goals is important. Like I know that not everyone likes goals and setting goals and stuff, but Sarah and I are both type A, so this works for us. Um, but regardless if you write it down or not, if you have some shared things that you're trying to go after together, that makes such a big difference to be connected because you are on the same team. Uh, for, for Sarah and I, one of the things that was so formative for us that grew our relationship so much was deciding to get out of debt. So we went to Dave Ramsey plan, financial peace, all that, and scrapped, scratched and clawed and paid off all of our debt outside of our house. And that was such an amazing blessing to us. Why? Because it was something that's so important in a relationship, and that is finances. And oftentimes finances are a point of contention and stress. What if you could turn some of these things, whatever, whatever it is, uh, turn that into a blessing in your life where you're working together after something. We need something to go after together as a married couple, um, because one day your kids will leave the house. They will leave the nest if you have kids. And, and you'll have each other again. And you'll be like, oh, hey, who are you again? We don't want that. 
We don't want that. We want to be dialed into each other. Uh, connection looks like intimacy. It looks like sharing those moments, sharing that time together. It looks like, what if you, as, as a, a husband or a wife, what kind of degree level do you have in, in the major of your spouse? Like, do you have a high school degree yet, right? A diploma? Have you gone to college and you're starting to learn them? Study them is what I'm saying. Study. Like, my hope that one day I could get a Ph.D. in Sarah Renee Kelly. A Ph.D., you know? And I'll, I'll put it, like, on my business card. Ph.D., you know? <laughs> Dr. Brandon. The second thing, so that's the first one, connection. The second thing is honor. 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 This is so missing in our day and time, and we as a church should be leading the way in this. What does it look like to honor your spouse? Honor. 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 What does it look like to lift them up? To speak. So one of the things is speak speech. In your speech. When you speak, speak to them and when you speak about them. Too often in a, in a marriage relationship, we have uh, spheres of influence where we take the thing that should be communicated with our spouse. We take that, we don't communicate it with them, and we take that information outside of our marriage and spend it in a different context, a different sphere, and that is just a form of gossip, and it will never help your spouse be who they're created to be if you don't talk about those things that make you uncomfortable or make you frustrated. You need to talk to them because all gossip is is taking a piece of information and putting it in the wrong place. And so honor, like when, when your friends are speaking ill of their, their husbands or their wives, whatever, your, their spouses, uh, choose not to participate. Better yet, choose to encourage them to honor their spouse too. So honor is so important. So when and you speak to them, when you spend time, like your time should be... Uh, Spent with our spouse. Like, imagine that. But a lot of us, we have, we have hobbies. We have second jobs. We have things that we're doing. We have things that get our focus away from our spouse. What if we could be best friends with our spouse? That's what God would want, I believe. Is to be able to spend time. Not to, not to say that you can't have alone time or whatever. But to have the, a, a great amount of time where you're focused. One of the things that I'm trying to work on is getting my face out of this all the time. And being present in the time that I'm with her and with my kids. This, this is a distraction. And so being present. And, and you don't need a phone to be kind of aloof. But to be dialed in. That's what it looks like to honor them with your presence. Are they your second biggest priority? Or is something else in the way? And again, second biggest. Because who's first? God. Celebrate them. Pray for them. Let them be themselves. Don't try to change them. Guess what? You knew what you signed up for. Right? Let God work on them. Listen to them. Defend them. Trust them. We, could, we should connect with our spouse. Honor them. And that will be two good ingredients for a marriage that built to last. Uh, Paul goes on, Ephesians 6. So for those of you who have kiddos, this is for you, Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, this is what Paul says for, for kids and for parents. Uh, verse 1, children, young people, young people, uh, and all of us who have parents, <laughs> uh, children, 
Obey your parents in the Lord. And the parents said, (laughs) Why? Because this is right. This is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. This is, okay, let's just read this again. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, that you may have a long life in the land. Anybody ever had their parents, their mom or dad say, I brought you into this world, I will take you out of this world. Right? That's where the promise comes from. Honor them, otherwise you you may not have another day. It's a joke, it's a joke. But it's kind of for real. Like real, you saw the look in your mom's eye when she said that for real, Right? You was like, oh man, I'm I'm a, I'm a pump the brakes on that. Okay, verse four, fathers, and I'd say this is also uh, applicable because of other different usages usages of of this Greek word in other contexts. Fathers and mothers, parents, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So you have a picture of what a household looks like with kids, right? Uh, it's, it, it includes obedience from the kids to the parents. It includes uh, a long life in the land. <laughs> and it includes not stirring up anger with your kids as parents. Um, what, what does that mean? Well, there's a responsibility not just for the kids to blindly obey us, but for us to be parents who are honorable. Honorable, right? So like some of us, we have a tendency to be helicopter parents. Anybody? Helicopter parents? Uh, young people, don't raise your hand for your parents, okay? Um, <laughs> I have a tendency to do this. Why? Because I'm kind of a control freak. Type A, okay? Um, I try not to do this, but my tendency is when I'm watching my four kids play, I see them doing something that's going to lead to something else that's not good, right? And I jump in too much. I, I dictate to them small little, like I pick it, pick their act, actions apart and, and I don't give them any space to make mistakes, right? That's, that's a mistake on my part. Why? Because did y'all know that the law of nature and the law of gravity have a tendency to work? And as long as my kids aren't going to kill themselves in what they're doing, sometimes I can just let their activities kind of draw out and they'll have a consequence in and of themselves, Right? We can do that as parents. Sometimes we have a tendency to try and save our kids from suffering. And sometimes what we need to do is let them go through with what they're doing. And that will be a much better lesson for them in the long run, right? Uh, obviously, it's a hard thing to decide when to, when to jump in and when to not. But the other side of the coin is uh, parents who just have no rules, have no direction, are kind of aloof altogether. And that's a bad uh, mix as well, because then our kids will grow up without any discipline, without any uh, wherewithal to actually uh, follow directions to be obedient and to follow Jesus. So as parents, we have to be willing to love them and, and show them honor in the fact that with our kids, they have dignity. We need to share and, and give them dignity where they uh, can make decisions on their own. One of the things that Sarah and I are trying to do is to remind ourselves uh, of this question. We, we've been asking this a lot. And I know I have younger kids, but this can work no matter if your kids are adults or not. Um, well, maybe not. Yeah, younger kids. Why not? If they want to do something, why not? That's my, what if that was our first answer? Why not? In our heads, right? Well, there may be some reasons why not. But a lot of times, there ain't no reasons why not. It's fine. It's just not my preference if I could control them like the Sims video game, like I could decide what they do and what they... 
I don't want to do that, right? And so giving them space and prioritizing connection and honor in our relationship with our kids. And for those of you who are older, you have, you have adult kids, um, understand um, you, it's not too late. It's not too late to prioritize connection with your kids. Your kids who are adults um, still want a relationship with you. They want you to pursue them. Now, I know sometimes relationships are fractured and relationships are messy, but at the end of the day, they still want that. So prioritize connection. Spend time with your kids. Spend one-on-one time with them. Take, uh, take an interest in what they're interested in. Have open communication. What if they could share the things they're wrestling with and not be fearful of being uh, just bombasted with, with the truth instead of grace and truth? Like, what if we could come, let them come to us, grandparents, parents? What if we could let the kids, the grandkids come to us and we had open communication where we'd hear them out, love them, give them direction toward what God would want, but also not condemn them uh, in the process? Where we could point them in the right way and be open communication and honor, like give them the, the privilege of having your full presence with them. Spend time with them. Talk to them. I love the, the picture in Psalm 127, verses 4 and 5. Uh, it basically says this, that children are a, are a blessing from the Lord. They're a heritage from him. They are like arrows in the quiver of a warrior. I love that. Here, what, what, did, what did it say? Bring them up in the instruction and training of the Lord, right? So we should prioritize what would matter 100 years from now in the life of our kids, a hundred years from now, the, them making the, the whatever football team or basketball team won't matter. Them getting that awesome job with a fancy car won't matter. Them getting that house won't matter. What will matter is whether or not they followed Jesus. That's what will matter. And so what if we as parents set our households up to where we are bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord? That doesn't mean we have to preach at them all the time. But we live it out and what is caught is oftentimes more than what is taught. So the way we live will teach them and be willing to pray with them, read scripture with them. We gave a bunch of tools out earlier this, this year, uh, some for younger kiddos were with parents, the foundations books, like doing that at the dinner table with, you have young, like kids who are middle school, high school age. We can still make that dinner time be an awesome time to spend with the Lord and together where we ask them what's going on in their life. What's, what's important. And then we maybe share some scripture that we've been reading where we talk about it. It's, I'm, I'm so looking forward to it. As, as, our, as my kids get older, it's so cool to be able to have like legitimate conversations with them. Like, not like, but like conversations, right? I know there will be a day when I'm so un, uncool to them, and that's fine, but I so look forward to be able, being able to have more and more of these conversations around the dinner table. Growing up, we didn't have dinner together. We just sat at the bar we didn't have a table, and we watched TV. That's all we did. And I'm so grateful that in our home, like I told Sarah this earlier this week, I'm jealous of our kids. They've, they've got such a good setup. Like, yes, we have issues. Sarah and I have issues, okay? Uh, we have issues. Um, and our kids are going to have issues because of our issues. There's, there's no way around that. I'm not perfect. 
But I'm so jealous of them because we have dinner together. We talk about God together. They have both their parents in their house. I never knew what that was like. And so what if we could, we could create our households in a way where we're bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, where our kids are the arrows in the quiver of us as warriors, and we pull them back. Are we trying to raise good kids? No. We're trying to raise Christ-following adults. Why? Because there's going to be a day when we take the arrow and we let it go, right? And they're going to be going out into the world and whether or not they fly straight right at the target or not is going to be up to whether, uh, whether or not we train them up in the instruction of the Lord and whether or not they decide to follow it, right? Because parents, we can do everything that we can and sometimes they'll still decide to not follow. But we can do everything in our control while they're at home to make it count, to make it count. Uh, one, one last context uh, for those of you who are single and everyone else, uh, all of us, including everyone who, who's not married or doesn't have kids, this is applicable to all of us. First uh, Peter chapter 4, Peter says this, he's a little bit older um, uh, and, and he's a little bit wiser and this is what he says to the churches he's writing to. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. Isn't that good news? <laughs> the end of all things is near. Anybody had enough yet? Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. What's one of the ways we can do that? Well, verse 9, he says, Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received the gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. I want, to, I want to identify one specific thing out of that, and that is to be hospitable. A, a household that is built to last is not just a household that benefits the people who live in it, but it's a household that welcomes others into it. Why? Because for those of us who have kids, and those of us who are just human beings, that's all of us, last time I checked, um, when we have someone over at our house, you know what that teaches us? It teaches us how to be selfless rather than self-centered. Why? Because we have guests over. We're going to try and serve them, right? I'm going to just be like, hey, whatever, you know, get yourself something to eat. No, we're going we're to serve them. We're going to take time to be focused on them, to be present with them, right? And it'll teach our kids how to be selfless. It'll also teach us how to be selfless, and it'll share a blessing because if our house is built to last, then we can allow that influence to spread out beyond our household. That way, more households in the church and outside of the church who will come into the church and then thereby will be built to last. So hospitality, I know 2020 has created a little bit of damper on the whole hospitality train, right? Like, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, here's some ideas that are like COVID considerate. Um, I know it's getting cold out. I know it's a little dreary day. But some of us, we've got some uh, fire pits in the backyard. Yeah, we could invite some people over. Just come, come, around, the, come around the fire. Let's hang out. I know it's, it's fall, but that's the best time to be outside, y'all. With a sweater and a fire. Mm, it's good. It's good. Without the rain. right? Um, or invite some people. If you've got a garage, hang out in the garage. If you're not comfortable with people being inside of your home without social distancing, you can still practice hospitality. You just have to be a little bit more creative with it. Invite somebody to go join you at the, at the park and go for a walk or whatever it is. Like, hospitality is not just having someone over at your property. It's having an openness to your life. 
So be willing to welcome people into that. And a household that is built to last will include that. And then we can, we can practice connection and honor and hospitality in whatever relationship that we are in, whatever context our household looks like. Because households that are surrendered to God are built to last. Households that are surrendered to God are built to last. When the storms come, and they will come, when the big bad wolf tries to blow your house down, guess what? If you built your house on the rock of Jesus Christ, it will stand. It will be firm. But we need to do our part, and that is to follow the Holy Spirit's guidance and how we love our spouse, how we parent our kids, and how we have our sphere outside of our home be influenced by Jesus and being uh, having people in our lives who are willing to call us out on our stuff. Because all of us got some stuff. And if we don't open ourselves up to other people's influence who know Jesus, love Jesus, and love you, then some of us will create norms that shouldn't be normal. And we'll have a house that's built out of straw and will come tumbling down. Joshua 24, uh, 14 through 15. This is the declaration that Joshua gave to the Israelites. And this is the declaration, the commitment, the conviction that we can have today. Therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods of your fathers, the father, get, get rid of the gods your fathers worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship the Lord. You know, sometimes some of us, we've got some stuff, some, some gods that need to get violently removed from our lives. Get rid of them, to push them away, to get rid of them. All of us got them. We need to decide what are those things and we get to decide who are we going to worship. But if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today. Which you, which will you worship? The gods your fathers worship beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites and those in whose land you are living? All of us, no matter what our belief system, we worship something. We worship someone. No matter if it's God or we call it something different, we worship something. As for me and my family, this is what Joshua is saying at the end of his life. As for me and my family, as for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. We will serve the Lord. That's the conviction that we have to start with. Will we, as followers of Jesus, decide that whatever household context we have, whether we're single, whether we're a blended family, whether we're married with kids, whether we're married without kids, whether there were empty nesters, whatever, what will we serve? What is our household going to be about? And we get to decide that. It starts with a conviction. It starts with a commitment to say, I am going to serve the Lord and that's what my house is going to be about. We get to decide who we will worship. And some of us, we've made that commitment. It is working out pretty good. Some of us, we made that commitment one day and we've drifted. And we get to an opportunity today to recommit to worshiping him first. Whatever he says goes. However he says, that's how we do it. And some of us, we've never made that commitment. We've never really owned our own faith. And as husbands, some of us, we have not led our families in the way God has called us to lead. To love our spouse, to love our kids as Christ loved the church. And it's up to us. If you are married, fellas, God said, you are the head. You love her like Christ loved the church. We have an opportunity to love her in such a way that will remind people around us of the love Jesus has for the church and the love Jesus has for them. Wouldn't it be amazingly beautiful? 
for when, when, when our spouses, whether you have a husband or a wife, when our spouses get together with other people, with friends, what if they had more positive things to share than negative things? And all it takes is for us to decide once and for all, who will we worship? Who will we worship? We are going to be built to last church. Over the next years and decades, we're going to focus on integrating our faith inside of the home. Because uh, it would be simple if we just said we're Christ-centered and that uh, supersedes and goes into and seeps into every way of life, every context of life. But a lot of times we need a little bit of help, right? We need to be reminded that, oh yeah, we don't just follow Jesus for one hour on a Sunday or a little bit over one hour because Brandon was long-winded, right? But we follow Jesus in our home too. And who's the people who usually get the worst versions of us? It's the people in our home, right? Because we're most comfortable there. Let our guard down. But what if we decided today to let the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us and mold us into the people who would have a household that is built to last? That's what God would want. That's what we as a church want to offer this community is a bunch of households that are built to last and thereby being a church that is built to last and sharing with this community what it looks like to love their spouse, to love their kids, to practice hospitality, to have good friendships. That's what it takes, church. So I'm going to pray. And what I want to do is I want to give you a little bit of space for those of you um, who are here with others and for those of you who are, who are here by yourself. I want to just give us all some space to spend in prayer with God and ask him what, what area of our household do we need to surrender to God more fully? Is it in our connection is it in honor? Is it in hospitality? What is it? What, what in our household right now, our current context, do we need to surrender over to the Lord once again? And I'm sure there's something that all of us could think of that we can just make a new commitment today. We say, Jesus, please have your way with my house. Have your way with my family. Have your way with me. Show me what it looks like to love my spouse well. Show, show me what it looks like to love my friends well. Show me what it looks like to love my kids well. Show me what it looks like to love my grandkids. Whatever it is for you. So I'm going to pray and I want to leave you with some time uh, to spend in prayer in that vein. And then when the band starts to play, you can stand and sing and we'll worship our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for being the God you are, for being the Father that you are. And we're so grateful that you have made a way for us to have it be a possibility to have a household, to have a family, to have uh, a life that is built to last because of what you have done. God, would you please uh, open our hearts to receive what it is you want us to see and to, and, and to, to, to learn from you? Uh, Holy Spirit, would you have your way in our homes? Uh, and would you reveal right now to us where we may have gotten a little bit off track? And would you give us the courage to decide today that, that your way is better than ours and that we can be built to last if we follow you. Uh, would you show us where we na- need to make some adjustments? Would you compel us to have some conversations that need to be had? Would you show us how to make the changes, to get rid of the gods of our fathers, to, ri- to get rid of the gods that have been in our lives that need not be there? Uh, would you show us, Lord? Give us wisdom, give us discernment, and give us your heart to be able to know what you are calling us to, Lord. We love you. Please hear us 
in our prayers right now.